0: And get that pre-order in, and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support.
1: Much love. Thank you. They bury those deaths in their bottom line, and they gag order these families. They don't want their stories coming out. You know, in the case of Karen Langhart and many of these families, they didn't take a dime. They didn't want money. They wanted their stories told, and they want the labeling to be on the packaging just like cigarettes.
0: Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Gross Podcast. Today, I feel like I'm in a bit of a teen throwback with just like an exploding amount of wisdom um, from Ricky Lake. So welcome.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I'm gushing a little. I'm a big fan of yours. I've been following you ever since my girlfriend did your Dating 101 series, and she just swears by you, and I'm just very happy to talk to you.
0: Well, I'm just really enamored by, well, one, first off, in my teens watching your show and then now getting to talk to you, you know, that you don't, when you're young and you see that kind of experience, you don't think one day you'll get the the opportunity to speak to that person. So I'm pinching myself.
1: Oh, well, who that person was, you know, I was 24 years old when I went on the air with that show, which is so, I mean, the audacity for them to hire me A at that age and B for me to do that and think that I could, you know, that I knew who I was at that time. It's just, I've actually gotten a lot better in age. And so you're, you're meeting the best me that I've ever done.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, that's the thing is I just watched your documentary, The Business of Birth Control. You know, I feel like, well, the version of me that watched you at that time would never, (laughs) you would never think that I'd have a podcast talking about these things either. So hopefully the two best versions of ourselves are about to have a conversation about some really important things. And, you know, the work that you are doing now, because I know you have, uh, is it The Business of Birth? Is that the other one?
1: The Business of Being Born was my very first film that I made, documentary I made with Abby Epstein, my partner, 14 years ago.
0: Yeah. Like you're doing really, really important work. And I'm, I'm curious, what has motivated this drive to educate in the reproductive space and, you know, more recently about the one on birth control?
1: I have to go back to when we started the first film The Business of Being Born. So I, you know, lived in New York City. I was doing my show, you know, from the late 9 early 90s to 2004, but 2001 9/11 was the huge turning point for me. I lived through that experience living downtown. I just had my home birth, water birth in my apartment in the West Village. And two months later, I had that experience of being in my primal power, in my home, feeling safe in my home for one of the first times because through my life, I never really felt safe at home. And two months later, I thought the world was ending. I watched the plane fly down the Hudson and hit the building. And it was in that moment that I had this epiphany. And I looked at my life and I mean, maybe it sounds kind of... I don't know, but in that moment, I I thought I was going to die and I did not want my legacy to be just this talk show. Like, I wanted to kind of, it was after that day that I soul searched and I thought, where can I make a difference? Where, what do I stand for? Where can be, I, I can be even more impactful. I looked at my birth experiences. My two, you know, sons were born, one in a hospital setting and one at home in my bathtub. And I was so impacted by my second experience that I wanted to make a documentary to explore. Choice and in, explore informed consent and really empower and educate women. And so, I kind of found my life's work and my calling through this traumatic experience. And um, I ended up, you know, finishing the run of my show. I, you know, I ended up leaving the marriage that I was in at the time, and I left New York City. It was like an epiphany I had in that moment on the roof of my building as I watched nine eleven unfold and. You know, making this this documentary, this very personal film that I funded myself. It took three and a half years to make. I show my home water birth in the film. And that gave me a sense of like really being able to express who I am and what I'm about. You know, I really am curious I'm someone who's really curious about people and relationships and humanity. And I think, you know, when it came to my births, I, I just I just was so like I evolved not just as a mother, but as like a woman and came in touch with my true power in that moment. And I just wanted to share that as a way of educating women. I don't I don't necessarily want women to do what I did. I'm not it's not about that. It's just I wanted to explore this, this, this idea that we can be so, so, so empowered in those moments as opposed to having it taken away in many cases.
0: What is it about? that process of home birth that really empowered you? Like what was the sort of, maybe it's like the raw carnal nature of it, but what was it that, that the Ricky before and the Ricky after there was that transition or the transformation or the light that came on or the, whatever the fire that got lit, you know, that you wanted other people to taste and
1: experience. I just felt like I could do anything you know, being pushed to that limit to save yourself, you know, it's like, and I'd gone from, you know, having my, having my first son four years prior in a hospital. And granted, I had a healthy baby and a healthy mom, you know, it was a very good outcome, but it was looking back at all the intervention, the uh, what I consider to be unnecessary intervention that was given to me that that compromised things, that compromised my breastfeeding, my my bonding, and so it was really like I wanted to you know have another child after having my first son, but I wanted to experience it differently, and I didn't know I was going to make a documentary. Like I wanted to do a project that explored this, but um, it was really after I had both experiences I could compare. It is sort of the seminal film that everyone continues to watch today. You know, it's it's bigger now than it's ever been, and people are, you know, even during COVID, so many people were clamoring for a home birth out of hospital birth because of the risk of getting infected. So yeah, it became my passion. Like I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by the art of birth and, and now with Women's Reproductive Health with our, our new film, I just think, you know, I'm all about informed consent and um, there's just so much a lack thereof in every aspect of healthcare, particularly with women. So um, it's just, it's, it's, it's the work I love more than anything.
0: Yeah. And it's when we don't know, like you said, the first birth versus the second, you know, being able to compare the two, like, had you never experienced the second, you'd just think it's totally normal to have a hospital intervene, sort of drugged and and whatever, you know, maybe painkillered delivery, you know, and I, you know, I acknowledge as a, as a dude, we just, I can't conceptualize what that's like. You know, i I joked once with my partner and my partner's sister that the closest thing I could think of was like going to the bathroom and it it being a bigger bowel boom. (laughs) That's about it. (laughs) You know,
1: constipated and having pushed a (laughs) little baby out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like I just thought like, wow, that's not even close, but that's maybe the only.
1: They say a kidney stone. I hear like a kidney stone, passing a kidney stone for a man to pass a kidney stone through their urethra. That is up there with childbirth
0: fearfully, I hope I never have to think about that. And I have so much reverence for the birth process. And I interviewed Holly Grixball on here before about the birth control pill and Dr. Nathan Riley about sort of removing the medical process from birth when obviously uh, it's the medical intervention is not necessary. So in the process of exploring birth control. Like how did this come about?
1: Yeah. So we now, and let me also say, Abby and I have made a bunch of documentaries together. So we made one in between about cannabis. So we have one called Weed the People, which looks at uh, cannabis, the medicinal plant and its effect on pediatric cancer. So we follow five children with brain cancer, different kinds of cancer, and while they're on cannabis oil, and also Western medicine. And that, you know, again, it's about informed consent. It's about education, about re-education about this plant. With the business of birth control, so Holly Griggs-Paul sent the galley of her book before it came out to Abby, and it sat on her desk for about six months. And then Abby was coming, she lives in New York, so she was flying out to see me. We were doing some work on Weed the People and she's she read the galley on the plane and she's like i think this is our next movie and again it's like it's like this continuum of you know it seemed it seemed really natural looking back on it now okay we did birth and now we're doing birth control and there's a lot of parallels a lot of similarities and you know i think holly wrote a really provocative brave book about you know just her journey abby did a brilliant job on directing the film and i'm super proud of it. And I think the timing of it could not be more perfect with what's going on with, you know, women's rights being taken stripped left and right. And, um, you know, it goes back to education. We need a re-education about these drugs that really compromise a woman, who a woman is foundationally.
0: Yeah. When I consider the conversation as a former pharmaceutical rep, you know, I think about my friends that, and colleagues that used to sell birth control pill and you never really thought much of it, you know, when you're in the midst of promoting it. I even think about it as a teenager in my twenties, you know, wanting a partner, you know, wanting or having a partner on the birth control pill, which, which I get was really more about convenience and not really thinking, you know, in, in having since left pharma, I remember one of the first things I started to question is like, wow, there's got to be a cost to taking these things you know, that we're preventing some sort of hormonal process. And that introspection really came from one looking at how cholesterol was framed to us in terms of public perception of fat causes, high cholesterol, that was marketed to us. And also, I, at the time in my late 20s, took a drug for maybe three years or four years, I can't remember, that was for hair loss. Propecia? Yeah, it was like another version of that. It was called Avidart. Uh, This is not an ad. And (laughs) I remember when I was, when I'd left pharma, I started to look at, okay, well, why did I take this? Like there was a cost potentially to taking this just to keep my hair. You know, and I thought, well, I'm ready to lose it if that's if there is any price. I don't want to challenge my systems or like throw them off. And of course, naturally, that as soon as I started to hear the conversation about birth control, I just thought to myself, like, as I learned more about it and spoke about it and had conversations about it, one thing that became quite clear is quite a few people would get very reactive to the fact that we were just talking about, oh, well, your body doesn't think it's pregnant your body actually is in basically menopause. Correct. I remember getting a ton of pushback on that from women who were like that's bullshit, that's a lie, that's you're propagating misinformation. Well, they didn't use that term then, but that's a very popular term now. And I was like, well, this conversation needs to keep happening because look at us, we're defending the very profit-driven businesses that are actually misinforming us through marketing. So I'm curious your thoughts on that and what you like maybe what were some of the most important or shocking discoveries that you had in making this documentary?
1: I mean, there there's so many sort of head-spinning things that come out of this film. And for me personally, so I'm someone who did take the pill for decades. I mean, probably 15 years off and on. I was also on the uh, – the, I had uh, the, the Mirena, which is the IUD that has the hormones. I didn't know it caused hair loss. I didn't know that that was a side effect. It was not told to me. So when I you know, went on the pill, I don't even think I was sexually active. I went to my, for my pap smear and they offered it up free. So for me, it was about convenience. I didn't have to go to the pharmacy and fill a prescription. It was there. It was a stack of pills. They were really pretty. They were like colorful and neon colors. And it was just, it was like candy. It just felt like, oh, this is just going to you know, take away this worry of you know, preventing pregnancy and giving me great skin at the same time. I didn't know that it actually puts you in menopause. I was told it tricks your body into thinking it's pregnant.
0: Yeah, that's what I remember hearing.
1: And you don't get a real period. You're getting a withdrawal bleed, but you're not actually ovulating. You're not actually having a cycle. And, you know, the other thing that really blew my mind is that it actually changes your pheromones, it changes who you are attracted yeah. to. Like that tripped me out and Abby, my partner, because both of us were so green in this, you know, we didn't put two and two together. We didn't question these drugs. We didn't ask about side effects. We weren't told anything. And to think that when you're a college student and you go on the pill and you, you know, the cycle goes, you fall in love and then you marry and you start family planning and you go off the pill. I mean, there are countless anecdotal stories of p- women not being into their guy because, and there's been, it's scientific. Like I'm not very good. I'm the layperson. I'm not the expert or doctor, but there's been studies done where they did a t-shirt sniffing test somewhere yeah, the white in t-shirt study. Yes, yes. And they are actually drawn to a different scent when they're on these drugs. You're, it's kind of like you're offline, your hormones are offline when you're on these drugs. And it's just it's like food for thought. I am not coming from a place of trying to scare women off of these pills. I just want to educate them so they know, okay, this can cause low-lying depression. This can change your libido. This can shrink your clitoris, you know? There's so many things that that, that I never, ever knew, and I just want everybody else to know so that they can make an informed choice when it comes to making these really important decisions about their bodies.
0: If you're someone who struggles with getting a good sleep, then you're going to want to hear this. You know, we all know that a full night of sleep is essential when we're working towards optimizing our overall health, right? In Cure Nutrition's Sleep Bundle, which combines their best-selling product, which is called Zen, and their most potent CBN, it is the answer to ensuring that you get that full night of sleep every night. Now, Zen is a blend of functional mushrooms, cannabinoids, and adaptogens. Well, the CBN product is a lesser-known cannabinoid that's found in the hemp plant, These supplements were designed to support the two most critical stages of your body's natural sleep cycle, the REM sleep and the non-REM deep sleep. Cured's raw CBN oil contains 30 milligrams of CBD, five milligrams of CBN, and a low dose of THC. The array of cannabinoids, they all work together to create what is known as the entourage effect, which means each cannabinoid works synergistically for greater efficacy than THC-free products. When it starts to kick in, you'll feel as though you're laying under a weighted blanket, it's wild. And once you're asleep, Zen, which contains reishi mushroom, magnesium, 20 milligrams of CBD, and ashwagandha, to ensure that your body is successfully cycling out of non-REM deep sleep into REM and back again. The best part, though, is that you won't wake up groggy. With this sleep bundle, I wake up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the day. And right now, Cured is extending an exclusive offer to you, my listeners, you can grab Zen and CBD in the Sleep Bundle and get an extra 20% off Cure's already discounted price by visiting curednutrition.com/create the love and using the coupon code create the love at checkout. With this extra discount, you're getting 36% off the regular price. That's c u r e d nutrition.com/create the love and coupon code create the love at checkout to save that extra 20%. Yeah, I remember learning about the affect birth control on the study you're talking about the white t-shirt study and i remember them saying you know smelling these t-shirts and they would say things like oh it smells like my ex-boyfriend or something like that when they looked at what they were drawn towards they were drawn generally towards men who had immune systems that had had a more diverse response like an opposite response right. so that if you mated you created more diversity in your immune system and I remember in the film talk, them talking about narrate the narrator talking about how for people on birth control, they picked people who are like a sibling.
1: Right. It's like bro- more like brother than other.
0: Yeah. Which, which yeah. It, I mean, Well, you think about that- the effect on people.
1: Yes, yes. And so Abby, who, you know, we she looks at partnerships she had, you know, during those early years when she was on the pill and she realizes like she chose those partners, like she would have chosen otherwise, likely had she not been on the pill.
0: Yeah, when you think about the impact of that, or at least just to postulate that or consider that, because what I've found from your film is that, and I've found this in just my conversation too with women about their experience on birth control, is there's a thought something's wrong with me because there's not an informed consent about a potential problem with the actual product they're giving. Like you might experience these things was not at least formally, or I don't even know if it's shared now, but it was not formally shared. You might experience suicidal ideation, depression, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I know they say, well, it's in the package insert. Have you read the package insert? It's like one point font.
1: Yes. And there's families, you know, we, we, one of the sad, very, very sad parts of the film is we, you know, interview families that have lost their healthy, vibrant young daughters to pulmonary embolisms and strokes from, you know, maneuvering and Yaz and these drugs. And it's such a small percentage until it's your child, you know, right. and it's so tragic. And I'll, I'll, I'll share with you that one of the families, you know, Karen Langhart was the mom who speaks up at the FDA. I, I don't remember what the, what exactly it was called, but she gets up and speaks. And all she wanted was her daughter's story to be heard and for them to have labeling to, to save other girls. And she never got her day in court. And the mom actually tragically took her life and left money for us to finish the film. Like she, she was, she's, I mean, she was such a powerhouse and trying to do what she could to change the system and to save young women. And it we didn't end up putting that and part of the story in the film because with testing we we saw that it took away from what the storyline or we had so much to cover in this film. That's one of the issues with with it is that you know we wanted the racism piece in there. We wanted, you know, the whole Margaret Sanger and the eugenics and the history of the pill and the studies done being on black and brown women in Puerto Rico and how a lot of the studies were you know, buried, that the results were buried to make it look like it was, you know, safer than it was. And it's just, um it's a lot to get in in a 90-minute film. But Karen Langhart's passing was just one of the saddest things to be a part of in the making of this film. It's awful. It's awful. And um, again, it's like this weird line because, you know, we don't want to scare women. We don't want to be fear-mongering, but we want to Shed light and pull back the veil so that everyone has access to this information and can make an educated choice for themselves.
0: Yeah, like you don't want to protect them from experiencing the dissonance or the pain that might come from the knowledge, but th- rather that expand the possibility of making an informed choice rather than what feels like an informed choice, but there's actually a whole bunch of information missing. And, you know, one of the really powerful moments that I found in the film was the a couple that was talking about their daughter who passed and they just said like we used to trust the FDA and now we don't at all and if you don't pay attention to pharma or the approval process you might just assume that drug groups and and drug approval processes actually have the consumer or the patient's health uh, at the center of their decision making I don't, I don't do know they, I do they, think,
1: yeah, I, do they? I mean, it's I all think about bottom do. line. It's bottom line. And, you know, with these deaths of these girls, you know, they bury those deaths in their bottom line, you know, and they gag order these families. They don't want their stories coming out. You know, in the case of Karen Langhart and many of these families, they didn't take a dime. They didn't want money. They wanted their stories told and they want the labeling to be on the packaging, just like cigarettes. Yeah, the and black box. Yeah. And I I don't, I don't blame them. I mean, I, you know, I don't know if I was 20 years old and about to, you know, look at my options for birth control, would I have been swayed? Would I have not gone? I don't, I don't know what decision I, you know, I'm 53 years old now and I'm with, I'm married to someone who had a vasectomy and I still get a period, but I'm not worried about getting pregnant, but I would have liked the information. And for me, you know, I struggled with hair loss. When I mentioned Propecia, I took Propecia for my hair loss, which is not approved for women to use but i was going i was that was my side effect that i dealt with from the pill and from genetics and i'd wish i'd been told more and um, so that's our hope in making this film and having this sort of gateway to this conversation starter. And we have a whole masterclass that we're actually releasing as well, which is like a nine part in depth goes way, way deeper with every issue that when it comes to this, these drugs, you know, people want information about endometriosis and PCOS and what to do to get off the pill. How do you phase yourself off? Cause that's a process. This really is like a great edu- educational tool for, for women who want more information.
0: Yeah. When I was listening, I was just learning so much about fibroids, about so much of the crossover of there being a lack of education, but also a lack of awareness of environmental impacts and food and stress and all that kind of stuff. And it, the discussion about primary care physicians and them not really educating or being even aware of these possible side effects, like these these young women coming to the doctor saying, I'm having this experience and the doctor going like, nah, like that's- It's all in your head. Right. Yeah.
1: It's maddening. And, and, you know, you look at the doctors and how they're set up with our health system. They don't get that time with their patient. You know, they have to boom, 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 boom. And so it's, it's, the this, this system is not set up, but I think, you know, women need to advocate for themselves. You know, it goes back to the, the birth film is the same way. You need to like advocate, do the education and understand that you have rights and choices that you can make. And that doctor doesn't always know best when it comes to you and your body.
0: It's so challenging though, because if you're young, you come from uh, maybe a stressful home, maybe you're, you're not being educated at your school about it. You know, you think of the systemic challenges of being a physician in a system that's like this system, where you're saying they don't have time. Their education, generally, often post graduation or post uh, fellowships, is from interactions with pharmaceutical reps. You know, and then you think about the patient, the patient, well, where, where is a patient educated on women's health? You know, one of the beautiful parts of the film was the education where I was, you know, they were talking about uh, tracking your, your cycle. And I thought, wow, like what an empowering thing. And I, one of the women was saying like, that's feminism,
1: that, right. That is true body autonomy. And that, yeah, it's the same thing like birth. I, I, for me, you know, because I can, I relate to all of this. That like, It's like flipping the script. You know, for me, when I went to labor, when I was having my home birth, I wasn't afraid. People would say, oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. I couldn't wait to experience what labor felt like in the privacy of my own home with my care provider that I trusted. And I'd done the research. I'd done, it's the same thing with, with this. I think it's like for me now, I, I relish that I still get a normal cycle, you know, and I track it and I take notes. And it's like, I'm, I, cause I'm seeing for perimenopause, like where my body's at. And so if women can learn to like appreciate, there is a reason we are more creative at a different time of time of a month. It's like, it's, it's fascinating. You're, you know, there's thing like seed cycling. I don't know if you know about that, but you can get really deep into the whole fertility awareness method. And it's scientifically, you know, very
0: successful. That's at 99%. I was like, yeah, as, dang. you
1: have to, there's a learning curve. You have to learn your cycle. And, but I think that can be a really enjoyable process. And uh, I wish I'd done that 20 years ago. You know, I wish, so it's like, I feel like with this movie, it's like, it's for the next generation. And I think young people, don't want to put endocrine disruptors in their bodies. They're super conscious about what they eat. So I think this is just the next level. And I think once we get to them and just show them how cool it is to kind of learn your cycle, I think it could be a new wave and a new movement. So that's what I'm hopeful for.
0: Well, and it's such true sovereignty, you know, it's true autonomy. It's true. It's such a deep understanding of one's own body when someone tells them, no, that's not, or that they're like, no, I fucking know. Like, don't, you know, my partner, she tracks her cycle and yeah, I get an email that tells me what part of her cycle she's in and what she might, you know, it's like gives tips for that time in the cycle. And I'm like, we got to get one of these for dudes. How do we get this? This
1: How do we do that? Let's, let's start developing that. But they call it the fifth vital sign. You know, there's so much that you can learn about your body and your medical history through tracking your cycle.
0: Like the fact that women's cycles oscillate around the circadian rhythm and the cycle of the moon. I mean, come on, like it's a portal. Totally. I don't how can we not have so much reverence for the majestic sort of miracle that it is just that like that Absolutely. truth there alone is kind of like light some candles and let's celebrate cuz that's it's pretty magical
1: Totally I'm with you What is
0: some of the possible I guess solutions were like you know in cuz you you navigate them in the film and I, to everyone watching this and listening to this you must check it out it's incredible and I learned so much in and and was really inspired through it Uh, so i'm curious what are some of the yeah of course what are some of the yeah like thoughts of how do we navigate through this and and all that
1: i wish we could say we tie it up in a bow we don't really you know i think it's about really imploring like the medical system to come up with more options because you know the fact is the pill is basically still our grandmother's pill you know there's been they re it to make more money but they're not safer they're actually more uh they're, they're less safe now because with each patent i'm not exactly how sure how it works but the progestins I, i'm going to butcher it because but they're but it's actually become less safe and i think you know there needs to be there there is talk about a male hormonal contraceptive that this coming down the pike that we're talking with about working with us. We just need, we need more options. And I think that it's going to take the public kind of clamoring for, for it, you know, I mean, and fertility awareness methods is something I think maybe we need to come up with a new name, a new packaging for it. But I think with our master class, it really, I think it could really serve a lot of people both in this country and elsewhere.
0: Have they tested teaching this kind of stuff to like you know, grade, you know, maybe like 11, 10 year old, boys and girls.
1: I don't, I mean, I think it's a great idea. I don't know with what's happening in this country. And I know you're Canadian, right? But you, you live in the States.
0: I kind of split my time. I've escaped Canada temporarily.
1: It's... Yeah. I'm, well, I'm not leaving Malibu, but it's Canada sounds really nice right now. I, I mean, I don't know with what's being, you know, all of our rights are being stripped left and right. It's a very scary time, you know, for just the idea of sex education. They're talking about, you know, taking away these books in school. I don't I don't know realistically what can be done, but people like Nathan who, you know, our friend who's an OBGYN that's not like any other doctor I know. You know, it's people like that. It's 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 people coming together with with new innovative ideas to to make it make it attractive and appealing to the masses.
0: Yeah, it's ironic to me that like one of the main conversations in the United States especially is this idea that abstinence will be what works, teaching people abstinence, which we know doesn't work. I mean, literally it works, but the education upon it doesn't actually empower anyone. There's no empowered knowledge about one's sexuality. There's just shame, yep. you know, and fear, yep. which just continues to suppress people's voices and experience and expression. And they're not going into their sexual experiences fully embodied because they're afraid they're going to go to hell. You know, like, screwed up is that.
1: It's crazy. And the Catholic right, you know, have kind of tried to adopt this film, you know, for their, for their teachings. And it's just, you know, I, it's, Abby's at a speaking thing now I, I, in Orlando and, and I, it's in a church, you know? So, I mean, we, we want to remove the religious aspect. This is about women learning their bodies, having true body sovereignty and autonomy and, and, being safe and and preventing pregnancy. You know, I mean, the idea that a woman can only get pregnant three, four days out of the month, and yet a man can impregnate a woman every minute of every day, it just seems to be just backward and wrong. And so I think it has to stop falling on the woman and we need to, you know, have men come up and, and take part in, in, uh, you know, pre- preventing these, these, uh, these pregnancies.
0: Yeah. And boys learning that, like we all should be learning all about how ovulation works and pregnancy. And I mean, my class, I went to a Catholic school, which means the class that I got on sex ed was basically don't have sex or else you'll get pregnant and then you'll be kicked out of the church or or shamed. That's what they taught.
1: That was Essentially, like that was
0: the Cole's Notes version of it. They had a couple come in who had gotten pregnant. They must've been in their early twenties, late teens. And I was in grade 10 or 11 because I remember the class I was in, it was religion class. And I remember sitting there being like, this couple was essentially saying, "Don't have sex because you'll become like us, and and then you'll have to give a talk, I guess, in front of kids." And and I remember thinking to myself, like, "Wow, I don't align with this religion. Like, I don't align with what's going on right here." And yeah, that was the education, which is not an education. I learned how to use a condom from DeGrassi, the show. I don't the first no. one. Yeah, yeah, not the one Drake was in. The very first, which no American has probably ever seen because it was very Canadian television. But that's how I learned. The guy put a condom on a banana and I was like, all right, that's how we do it. All right, perfect.
1: Wow. That's crazy. I'm trying to think of how I learned about sex because I certainly didn't learn it in school and I didn't learn it And I was a late bloomer, you know, I was super obese, you know, I was not the kid that the 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 girl that got the guys that were interested in me. I was the best friend that everyone came to to tell, hey, tell my tell your friend I like them, you know, so I was a very late bloomer. And, you know, yeah, it's it's just we we need to be learning. We need to be reeducating our, our young people. And I think the way to go to get to young girls about how cool it is to know your body, like the, the mucus that you check, you know, every when you're ovulating. I mean, it's fascinating that that, that makes sense. It's this, you know, this um, consistency of like an egg white and that helps the sperm reach the egg. I mean, it's just it's it's just a reeducation, I think.
0: I was watching the film and they were using a speculum on uh, a woman. Was using a speculum on herself, like looking in a mirror, looking at herself, and I think teaching at one point also a woman teaching it in a class, was it like via visual. And I was like, "Were you Man, offended
1: this... by that in any way, or did you find that like off-putting?"
0: No, no, maybe because I was a rep, so like all that kind of stuff never really, you know. I always thought it was more educational. It wasn't like. It's, it's sometimes hard in my younger brain, it would have been hard to not sexualize it, you know, but now I'm able to sit there and be like, okay, that's the labia minora, the majora. And I thought that was, I was, when this, they were asking who here is ready to, you know, maybe look at their cervix today. And I see kind of for a moment, you know, you see like some people raise their hands and others not. And I thought, wow, that must be so interesting to be in this group learning about something. And I I would imagine that most of the women in that group were in their like late teens, 30s. It, it seemed like a range. And I thought, wow, to be learning that in your 20s when it's such an important thing to know at 12.
1: Right. But at any age, I think it could completely change you in the most beautiful way to like see how it all works and and to not be ashamed and to just I don't know if I've ever seen my cervix but I I, I certainly would like to and I would be okay in a group now like I I've very much evolved since my days of doing my old talk show like I was so close-minded back then about everything I didn't come off that way but I was deep down I was super full of fear and judgment and I think um in my later years I've just been like burst open and uh, making these films is, is definitely part of that journey.
0: So what is the part that you're most proud of in the film?
1: I mean, I love being able to just make these films that really are making a difference, you know, and, and with this new film, we, we it remains to be seen because it's brand new, but I can go back to the business of being born and seeing, I mean, it's now in like a medical journal. They've just, they've credited our film as being the single thing that has changed women seeking out, out of hospital birth and midwifery care. So wow. like that, you know, because I, so you know, I, it's so cool because I did, you know, I did that show for so many years and I love that platform and that vantage point, but it was like, it was like that, that was the foundation to have that mainstream audience that watched me twice a day, every day in their living rooms for 11 years. They trust me, they relate to me, they they like me, they root for me. And so I'm able to really make these like pretty provocative, controversial films that are easily swallowed, I think, by the mainstream audience. And so that's really, that that makes me really, really happy and fulfilled.
0: Yeah, to think you go go from like doing some shows that were like from geek to chic, which were my, some of my Gucci favorite Mama, shows. Blah,
1: blah, yeah, <laughs> I know, like I think <laughs> of like
0: those were some of my favorites, the transformations. They come breaking through the picture. And I just almost see like you need to do your own breaking through of like from talk show to this depth and exploration of of how these systems work and and to liberate us from. Like what we think is normal, what we think that's the thing that keeps, I guess, in the last couple of years, especially, I've just been very fascinated. When I think about my time as a pharmaceutical rep, I remember walking with my friend whose father was actually, uh, he was one of my, my clients, or I guess like one of the physicians that I called on and she had, he had, I had since left the industry and I remember walking with her, talking to her and she had become a friend. And, and I was just thinking like, wow, I was saying to her, I like actually created diseases, you know, like I used to sell an irritable bowel syndrome drug and at the time it launched there was nothing for IBS. I remember educating family physicians on how to use it and how to identify a patient. And now IBS I know is so correlated to your nervous system being stuck in fight and flight and it being more emotional and more trauma-based and I thought oh my god, I had this I like was teaching people how to find people to give this to and now to look back and, and just start to see the many layers of the industry, just a lot of people think I'm crazy for questioning a lot of uh, pharma for the last couple of years. And, and just being, I've always been questioning of the vaccine, not because not saying that it wasn't useful or couldn't be used for some people. What was really alarming for me was that I wasn't allowed to explore the data and question it. Like that became a big red flag. I'd, I'd discuss it and someone would just call me an anti-vaxxer. And I'm like, wait, no, like, how have you been convinced like two years ago, or even five years ago, criticizing a pharmaceutical product after you're prescribed it would not be you'd be celebrated for doing that you'd be encouraged. And what I've just watched is, we have generally been just through media and, and public health, been Encouraging, shaming those who question,
1: and silencing. It
0: continuously happened in the film. The discussions about questioning the birth control pill and it continuously being gaslit and silenced, and as you said, hush money. Like it's, it's, it's enraging.
1: No, it's, and for us, for yet we have been, you know, because it's it's a very fine line. Because obviously, feminism, and and, you know, because I consider myself to be a feminist. It's a nuanced conversation because you have to be able to have to challenge what is out there, even though, yes, it made great strides for women to be able to control their their bodies and make sure they weren't getting pregnant. But we need to do better at this point. And I think, I mean, you know, when you saw Dope Sick, did that like resonate and give you chills down your spine? I can't even imagine because it was crazy. Yeah. I mean, when did you sort of see the light when you were in that business? like was there a, like a like an aha moment of like I don't know what am I doing here
0: it was when I was starting to study relationships on a much deeper level because I was seeing the inflammatory side effect of dysfunctional relationships and conflict I was starting to see the research on it and the Gottman's research as well as other research on wound recovery and high conflict couples you know that it was impairing wound uh, healing you know like this kind of thing and I was like Oh man. And then I started to learn about emotional dysregulation. And actually the thing that really made me start to question things was when I was about to leave the industry and I went to a doctor, a naturopathic doctor, and I was just like, ah, you know what? I'm going to get all my blood chemistry sorted. And it came back that I had elevated cholesterol. And so I was like, okay, interesting. So I go to a GP to go get a blood test. So I didn't have to pay for it in Canada. And he's like, I'm going to have to refer you to a lipid clinic. And I was like, first off, you haven't asked me, what am I eating? What's my lifestyle? My testosterone was elevated. He asked me if I was on a testosterone drug, which I was like, no. And I was like, why don't you ask me what I'm doing? And he didn't ask me about my lifestyle. So I dove deep into cholesterol because I wanted to understand it for myself. I used to sell statins, so I knew there were some challenges there. I mean, the veil got lifted. I went deep into the avenue of cholesterol, and I was like, "Holy shit!" I was totally lied to as a GP rep, and I started to just see how, when I was a rep, people would criticize the pharma industry, and I had your classic defenses of it. You know, what would you and,
1: say? What would you say in defense?
0: You know, we're not profit-driven. We're trying to help people. Profit just happens to be a side effect. You know, and we had these other lines like, uh, if someone said, "Oh, that drug has side effects," we'd say, "Well, one of the side effects is feeling better," right? Like. When I watched what occurred in the last couple of years, and actually I I relate a lot to the birth control film too, is that we would be given these objection handlers. So you'd be given like, if you were selling a drug, they'd say, here's the objections you're going to get for this drug. And then they would give you, here's the answer to each one of these most common objections you'll get from your physicians or your nurses or your healthcare practitioners. And I noticed the same thing occurring in the last couple of years where it was like, Oh, there's no long-term data, and instantly people would be like, "Yeah, but mRNA has been studied for decades now." And blah. and I'm like, "Wow, it's like I was starting to see all these little pharmaceutical reps. and that's why I've just the wake up was years ago. I think like anything, once you start questioning, you the Can't veil's lifted.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I
0: used to trust all these things blindly. I, you know, I I was part of it. I was part of the machine.
1: Me too. I mean, I was the daughter of a pharmacy, a pharmacist. So my dad had his own pharmacy. I talked. I thought nothing of taking a codeine, Tylenol, codeine for my headaches. You know, I didn't question <laughs> it at too. all.
0: Me too. T three really worked too. <laughs> let me <laughs> tell you, like goodbye headache, hello la la land.
1: <laughs> exactly. Oh, hello, good night's sleep. Yeah, I mean it's this very strange thing. And I was so, so anti drug when I was doing my old talk show. Like I was the disciple of Nancy Reagan, just say so you no know, to drugs. And it's only now, full circle, that you know, I, I'm way into plant medicine and psychedelics. I've done my ayahuasca journeys and i I've gone full circle like to being like sort of anti-pharma and and just so open minded about so many other things. Thank goodness.
0: Well, you start to see the overlay of lobbyist groups with political motivations, with you know, what's I, I think really just been very fascinating to me especially in the last couple of years is exploring how we get caught in binaries and beliefs and then can't dialogue about anything you know you're we're witnessing this inability like this instant villainization of any view that's not ours and it happens on every side you know that's the irony is like both political extremes operate with the same behaviors they just have opposing views
1: yeah, I was just listening to your last, your last one on cancel culture and the whole thing. It's like, yeah, you can't go against the grain anymore safely.
0: No, you know, it's like to, to question, it's virtuosity or to present as virtuous. What I was really fascinated by in the research on that is that in the research, it's shown that people who present as virtuous are more likely to be deceitful. Like to purchase counterfeit things to, because they're more concerned about appearing virtuous perception. than being virtuous. It's all yeah.
1: perception. Yeah, that's really that 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 just sparks and makes me think of like my new husband, my beautiful new husband who grew up Mormon, like devout Mormon, and it was all perception. Oh, yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, we were just watching the the new documentary about the fundamentalist Mormons. You know, the F what is it? The FDS, F, Fundamentalist Church of I, I can't remember. What Jesus this,
0: yeah. Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Latter-day yeah. Saints. Exactly, LDS, exactly, yeah.
1: exactly. But I yes. grew up with
0: a lot of Mormons. And, you know, it was because I grew up in the southern part of Alberta, which runs along the I-15, which goes down to, to Utah. Uh, yeah. And so it's called, I mean, it's one of many Bible belts. And I was always really fascinated by their, like, super love for family. You know, I was inspired by that. But the hypocrisy that often occurred in our conversations or they'd say they believe in something and, and they're like, they can't do this and can't do that. And then they're getting wasted and banging someone. And I was like, I don't care that you're doing that. But I've found too with Christianity, you know, I'm, I pick often on Christianity and maybe that's just due to my past as a Catholic. But I, I just found they would often say that this thing mattered to them or they believed in it, but it would seem more convenient, you know? It seems more convenient. It feels like the ones who are most doubled down on their beliefs the were the most, ones, yeah, yeah, breaking the rules.
1: Absolutely, which shows
0: you again that virtuosity, right? It's like I know quite a few Mormons and Christians who had porn addictions. Not saying you know that that's always true because everyone can experience porn addiction, but where there's so much suppression,
1: right? There's got to be an outlet.
0: It's also psychologically interesting that we defend the things like birth control. We defend the things like cholesterol drugs. We defend the very systems that are actually influencing us and making profit from us. And I think people might think it's a conspiracy theory to believe that they want us sick or they want because it feeds profit. But, you know, like once you start seeing how the systems work, I don't know, what do you think?
1: Yeah, well, well, I do think that they don't want us questioning the system, the status quo, you know. And I, you know, I think with birth, you know, uh, with my with my film, which I am so excited for you to see, but it really, you know, when we screened it, we we screened it to, for grand rounds at the hospital where I had my first son and where Abby, my my director, wow. had her baby, and we thought they were gonna just like pat us on the back and say good job, and they screamed at us and called us propagandist filmmakers. They, you know, they were like, you slandered us, you slandered us. And we simply were reflecting what actually is happening in a hospital system, but we were knew we were onto something in that moment when this little film was like sparking this, I mean, they, ACOG put us in our, put me in their target resolution said that, you know, uh, that it was the latest cause celeb home birth, like attacking me. It was, it, it wow. Was really really a scary and fascinating experience to say, you know, we we were like we were we were poking a tiger and certainly now we're poking tiger a little bit with Big Pharma, but again it comes back to education, informed consent, advocating for yourselves and, you know, yeah you know making the choice that's best for you with the with the education needed to make one
0: yeah i think of the challenge that this would your first film would have presented for uh obgyns you know like here they are doing what they were taught to do that it's the right thing that you know and in interviewing uh, dr nathan riley too you know him saying like like if you consider it you know physicians just the the ones who are the most successful keep giving the right answer you know they're not where he's speaking about themselves, like we're not rewarded for being critical of the very systems that already exist. And that is kind of a failure of the a system. But I would imagine from an identity perspective, the reactivity of the OBGYNs, you know, people involved in birth would be substantial.
1: Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, a lot of the OBs didn't want the woman to be empowered in that way and to say, wait a minute, why am I getting that drug? Wait, I, I don't, I don't want vitamin D or whatever given to my baby, whatever it is. You know, it, it it was getting in the way of them being efficient with their work, you know, and we talk about, you know, the hospital system and it's, it's a business. They want those beds filled and empty, you know, you know, a, a conveyor belt, you know, and. When you see the film, it's like, it shows women giving birth on their own ter- terms out of hospital and, you know, standing up, catching their babies. I mean, it's just, it's images that, that a lot of people have never even imagined was possible. And so, um, yeah, that, that, that film has been such a tool for so many people to just see things in a way they never thought they could before.
0: Well, I look forward to people experiencing it with, uh, this one to the business birth control you know, the, from a relational structure perspective too, you know, I'm, I, whatever gives women more power, more tools, more sovereignty. It's interesting because there's almost like this, the old system or the old way of even relating believes that if the woman becomes more powerful, then the system itself or I become less powerful, I have to give up power, uh, You know, whether it's the male in the relationship or the system, as opposed to seeing that the more powerful each individual becomes in any system or relationship, the more powerful the relationship becomes. Absolutely. You know, this is, uh, for everyone listening, must watch. And on all of our to-do lists is to uh, also check out the one on birth.
1: I wanted to tell you, I know it's off topic, but I want to tell you, like, I like I said earlier off camera, but I, I love the work you do about relationships and about finding love and finding love through yourself. And I, you know, I've just been on this is unbelievable journey of love and loss. I lost my second husband to suicide and bipolar disorder and, you know, came to a place of like, went through a, you know, just hitting rock bottom with, with that, that loss and coming out of it and just, just, Coming to a place in my 50s of loving myself and now finding this, 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 my person, my king, and I have just been living the best of days, ironically, during this pandemic, I met him during the pandemic. And it's just, I feel like my story has been such a source of hope for so many People, particularly women of my age, who are looking for love, and I just I, I appreciate all the things you put out in the world because it's really resonated with me, and I share it with so many of my single friends. I've implored them to take your course, even though I haven't, but my friend swears <laughs> by it. But I just I'm a big fan of just you you know spreading the word of just self love, and and yeah, it's it's just you've been you've been just great for me during this time.
0: Mm. Well, thank you so much. I I as I said at the beginning I think it's so funny to to consider where I used to see you and now being able to share a conversation with you and it it really feels uh like a beautiful full full circle and just very appreciative
1: Mm, keep up the great work.
0: You too. And, and speaking of that, where can people find your films and more of you and all that jazz?
1: We are self-distributing this one because as you can imagine, Big Pharma is tied up in everything. So we are doing it ourselves. It's at com, and uh, people can stream it there. We're doing free streaming weekends. We're doing some stuff. We're planning to bring it through college campuses. So we want to do a fraternity tour uh, we have high hopes. And the masterclass series is also on that website, the business being. Oh birthcontrol.com. And it's a nine part series that I think is going to really, really do so much good for so many people in educating them.
0: Yeah. And um, for people who are listening, who might want st- to stream it or, or sorry, like uh screen it, that's the right term. Uh, where would they reach out? Or is that on the website?
1: They can go on the website as well, the business of com, And that's the best place to find all of our films. But yeah, I'm super excited to just continue building a community and getting, getting a conversation started to hopefully promote some change.
0: Amazing. Everyone listening, share this far and wide. Make sure that you check out the documentary and all of them. And if you're interested in screening it, that's on the website too. Ricky Lake, it is such an honor.
1: Mark Grove, such a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you.